Hi, I'm Rob Sadow, and you're listening to the Flex Perspectives podcast, where we interview the world's best thinkers, researchers, and operators on how to make flexible work work. Flex Perspectives is brought to you by Flex Index, the world's most robust source for full-time, hybrid, and remote work requirements. Flex Index represents more than 8,000 companies, 60,000 office locations, and 100 million people. Today, my guest is Alex Wolkemir. Alex is a partner at McKinsey & Company, one of the world's leading consulting firms. He specializes in real estate and the application of generative AI for real estate firms. In this episode, we dive into the biggest opportunities for generative AI in real estate across both cost savings and revenue generation. We also talk about how real estate companies can get started with setting vision, collecting data, and cultural transformation to take advantage of the opportunities AI presents. If you enjoy this podcast, please help us out by subscribing and giving us a rating. It helps us understand what episodes our listeners find most valuable and helps new listeners find the podcast. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Rob. Great to be here. So Alex, uh, for folks who may not be familiar, uh, which may not be that many people, but we'll actually see, uh, for folks who may not be that familiar, what is generative AI? So the way to think about generative AI, probably the easiest way to go about it is to compare it to more traditional AI. Um, so when you think about you know, analytical AI, machine learning, that is all about getting to a prediction. And it could be a quantity, it could be a category. Generative AI, it is much more about creating something net new. So that could be a string of text, that could be an image, that could be a video, but it's AI that is basically more creative and more human is how I like to think about it. Got it. And and you've been at McKinsey for a while, if I understand correctly. Tell me a little bit. Yeah, been a little over eight years now. Yeah. Okay, got it. So a little over eight years. Obviously, generative AI has not been a major topic of conversation for eight years time. So tell me a little bit about your arc at McKinsey and kind of like what led you to interest or fascination in this topic and, and kind of how we came to this conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, I started my journey at McKinsey very focused on digital and technology broadly. Um, and how do you think about using it to basically change different industries uh, and originally focused a lot more on fintech. It's a lot of digital banking, payments, and kind of that revolution back in like the immediate wake of, you know, 08 post-financial crisis. I actually left McKinsey uh, after doing my fintech work and did a grad degree in design and engineering at the D School at Stanford. Um, and my main focus was design of interactive technologies and how we think about interacting with built environments, the impact of those on like psychology and how we process those things. I then worked for the International Rescue Committee doing work around technology and sensors applied to refugee camps. Yeah, I was to say, I don't think there's too many people who have done that. I feel like that's quite the, uh, that's interesting arc, like from McKinsey into D-School into into uh, what you did with the refugee camps back to McKinsey. Yes. What, <laughs> so, so what made you, after doing that set of things, like what made you want to come back to McKinsey? I'm just curious, like how, how why it felt like that was the right kind of like uh, turn of the wheel, so to speak. Yeah, I think for me, I'd say one, McKinsey was going deeper and deeper into the world of business building, digital technology. Uh, and secondly, a big interest of mine has always been technology applied to built environments and applied to kind of physical space and how we think about digital being a part of the physical. And within the context of our real estate work, that was becoming a bigger and bigger part of how we were supporting clients, how were we helping them think about it. So that was kind of my belief coming back was being able to be at the nexus of, you know, digital technology, the physical uh I guess my work looks a lot less like traditional what people probably think of when they think consulting. Like my teams have engineers, designers, data scientists on them. And what we deliver is more than the slide deck 
people have preconceived notions about. Um, so for me, that was always kind of the belief. And it's really been about as long as I can do work in that space of that flavor. Uh, it's what's kind of kept me sticking around now for a while. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I don't know, Alex, if you and I talked about this, but I started my career at Bain you know, back yeah. in the day. And uh, I'm very familiar with the slide deck as unit of output. All right. So it, it is interesting to hear about the you know, formation of your team and what that looks like. You know, one thing I'm curious about is, is this a topic at McKinsey, Generative AI, that you started to really dig into deeply kind of like post open AI chat GPT launch. Is this something that really kind of like started to manifest at end of 22, beginning of 23? Is this something that you started to look into earlier and actually was like kind of like on your radar screen, so to speak, as a trend that maybe was coming forward? Like what, how did McKinsey's relationship with generative AI kind of like start, if you will, in your focus in that area? Yeah, it's, I'd say two pieces to that. Like I'd say generative AI has always been on our radar. Um, but especially in my world, in the world of real estate, we've been doing work related to AI applied to real estate long before Gen AI was the hot button topic it is now. And a lot of ways, it's really just kind of the continuation of what was already happening. Uh, and it's just really about now, it's not replacing the old version of AI, but it's new use cases that were not possible two, three years ago now become possible. Um, so we're like, we may have been doing, you know, rent forecasting or may have been doing you know, work around segmenting customers that you're targeting. Whereas now you might be thinking a lot more about um, like creating marketing content or how do you extract information out of leases? Uh, so it's kind of the natural progression of, I'd say, AI, both in the world, but in real estate specifically as well. Because um, under the hood, generative AI, for all we talk about being creative, it's still statistical models. It's still predicting things. It's just a different type of output. Um, but all of these things in some sense are all you know, mathematical ideas that have been around for decades. <laughs> it's really just about having the compute power and having the ability to now apply them in ways that was not feasible a decade ago. Makes a lot of sense. Is is real estate traditionally in your mind an early adopter of this kind of stuff? Are they usually a laggard on this kind of stuff? Like, what, how would you typically think of real estate? And as a result, how have you found the appetite for this topic, you know, in, a, in the last year and a half in terms of interest of leaning in and, and yeah. starting to apply some of this stuff? I would say historically, if we go even like five, six years ago, and we had done a analysis, I think back in 2021, of how digitized and AI forward industries were. And real estate was definitely towards the bottom end of that list, <laughs> to your point, Rob. <laughs> um, but I think what we have seen is, I think one, a growing openness to it and a recognition of the value it can create. And two, going back to, I think, where we started around technologies applied to the physical, a lot of the technologies, the data, what makes a lot of the use cases that are interesting possible didn't exist in a real estate context 10 years ago. Because when you think about you know data about physical spaces, when you start using different sensors, when you think about a lot of the things that are really relevant to the physical world, uh, those technologies took longer to mature. I guess I personally also think that there is some benefit to real estate being a bit of the laggard. Uh, I think there are a lot of industries that also, you know, place their bets on things that now may be outdated. So in some ways, real estate can learn from where other industries may have gone wrong and hit some pitfalls along the way. Yeah. So basically, there, there's in some ways, there's a benefit to being a little bit slower to adopt, but run fast once you see where the market is heading or, or kind of like how yeah. technology is developing versus being an early adopter. Precisely. Like, I mean, I always look at banking as a great example, you know, in like around 2010s, like 
early part of that decade, a lot of the banks were moving to the cloud, new types of what they call core banking systems, but like the wind, like the operating system, essentially that you're running the bank on. Uh, and a lot of the folks that were the first movers actually wound up adopting things that were not the optimal solutions. And it was the fast followers that were well positioned to learn from what some of the first movers did wrong. Uh, and in some ways, real estate as an industry, I think, is primed to do that when it looks at some of the other industries that have been the fast movers. Uh, I also think within the space, though, there's a huge, I'll call it distribution amongst the players of some folks that are quite forward and really see the value, really want to invest and think, you know, that's where the strategic value comes from as I'm, you know, planning my workplaces of the future through to where I'm going to deploy my capital. And there are other folks that are, I say, a little more tech resistant. Uh, and my personal view is that's going to drive more and more strategic distance over time. But I think like any industry, you have the believers and the skeptics. <laughs> and, and with any technology, right? Like yeah, in terms of, of how it absolutely. evolves. You know, one question I'm curious about, and you were talking a little bit about evolution over time and, and maybe why real estate now is more interested or this is a more pressing topic. And one thing I'm curious your perspective on is you talked a little bit about uh, creation and, and availability of new data, for example, sensors giving yeah. um, maybe more accurate or new insight into how people are using spaces, for example. Absolutely. Um, I imagine a part of that too is the, just the, the fundamental disruption in this segment right now in terms of, you know, especially in certain segments like office, for example, and you know, shift from full-time in office to hybrid work probably creates a different platform or burning platform, if you will, around it. How, how much of the interest from a real estate perspective is just the the fact that everybody's using this technology and we better figure out how it applies to us versus there's new data and therefore it seems like it's really interesting for us to actually play with that versus our business model is under a threat in some ways and we need to figure out how to apply it. Is it all three or something else? Like what what's the what's the key driver at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I always think about it and it's kind of a combination of the things you lay out. Like on the one side, there's a lot of this what I call like industry relevant technology, which you know, was not around a decade ago. And that is kind of caught up to the problems real estate needs to solve. I think the other big driver to your point is the industry's in a different place even than a year or two ago. So like the shift in industry focus, context to different types of topics, uh, I think also creates an appetite for it. I think the latter one, though, it is not just creates an appetite, but it shifts the interest in the types of use cases folks care about. I think prior, like a year or two ago, folks were still thinking about AI and Gen AI, but it may have been a different narrative in terms of how they were trying to create value or what use cases you were applying it to. Like we do a lot of work, you know, AI more broadly, where it's geospatial applications of what buildings may be primed to perform, where should I deploy capital? Um, but those same models now we're working with folks to figure out for their existing buildings, where is there a building that's most likely to face the threat of vacancy? Um, as you think about new patterns around hybrid work and how folks are engaging with the city. Um, there's a little bit of the technology's caught up to where real estate wants to be. Uh, but it's also, as the industry kind of naturally goes through cycles, like it always does, the types of questions and use cases that are relevant evolve. So like how you frame it and how you apply it changes over time. So, so let's dig into that a little bit, because yeah, I'm interested to talk about some of those use cases. And, and in particular, I, I think you have a framework, if I recall correctly, like a, a four C's framework for thinking about yes. generative AI. So maybe take us through that a little bit. How do you, how do you think about this? And then, and then what are some of the applications for real estate that you think are most interesting or exciting at the moment? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would not be a good consultant if I didn't have a clean <laughs> framework for it. I saw the four C's and I was like, <laughs> of course there's a four C's of Gen AI. Oh, like, oh, how could there not be four C's? Well. <laughs> but no, so we think generative AI specifically, we think about four big buckets of use cases. Um, so one we typically talk about is customer engagement, but that's everything from you know chatbots that interact with individuals directly having conversations. Uh, but that's also things like a co-pilot that may be sitting alongside someone that is doing a lease negotiation or that's doing an analysis about, you know, should I be opening a new office in a particular place? Um, but it's really about someone that's kind of along for the ride and interacting with the individual. Uh, second big bucket we talk a lot about, we call creation. But this is everything from it's creating, you know, documents, creating videos, creating images, um, and all those different elements there. But the output of the algorithm is, I'll call it like net new content overall. Uh, third big bucket we call concision, uh, but basically a fancy word for it summarizes or synthesizes. So it takes, you know, big use case we talk a lot about here is something like lease documents where people have loads of those. And rather than having to comb through them one by one, it can scan them, extract information, find insights. Um, but it's really about that, I call it mass synthesis of big mountains of data that may be hard to comb through otherwise. And then the last big bucket, it's a bit of a flavor of creation, um, but it's really around coding. Uh, it's you know helping engineers go faster. When you think about code, a lot of it is often quite you know standardized or reused, um, but it's about accelerating engineering tasks, especially for ones that look quite repeatable. And there's also a big piece here around generating you know net new data. Um, so when you think about like imputing new data or making data sets bigger, like using Gen AI to build a larger data set to build models off of, which are like net new, you know, code, software development, technology output, essentially, is how to think about it. Got it. So, so which of those opportunities, and I guess those are categories of opportunities and opportunities we dug into, but what's the most top of mind? Like, what, what are you finding right now as number one opportunity and, and is it consistent across real estate segments or is there... You know, a certain opportunity that you're like in office, it's here and in residential, it's here or kind of like, how, how is this starting to play out? Totally. I think it's different by asset class and also different by where in the value chain someone sits within an asset class. I would say broadly, not just in real estate, but, you know, overall across implementations we're doing at McKinsey, the piece around concision and synthesis is by far, I'll call it the most mature, um, but we've seen a lot of great implementations there. Like I was just looking through one, we've been working off with a big real estate player where it takes, you know, big mountains of lease data and is able to extract themes about it, look for where there are outliers in terms relative to what they've negotiated with a tenant and really just start to extract insights in a at scale way. Um, there's also lower risk around it because there's still a lot of risk around new technologies hmm. because those things tend to be internally facing. Um, so that one is quite big. Uh, coding, I think... Most developers are using it, <laughs> uh, and there's all different studies out there about, you know, I've seen all different stats around how much more productive engineers can be. But I think that is a big application that I think is very real, very much in the world. Uh, on the creation side, I have seen folks in real estate deploy it for, you know, versions of marketing copy um, for, you know, the pamphlet about the new office building that's opening up. I think that is growing. I think we're more likely to see early applications in things where text is the output 
but I think there is still some, I call it hesitance, especially on the visual side. You know, I'm obviously not a lawyer, like from the legal perspective, but I think there's still some open questions around the legality around what's being used to train a lot of those, um, you know, large language models, especially on the image side uh, to get good output there. So that's the one I think a lot of potential there. And I think the Holy Grail, when you talk to anyone that's in marketing, leasing in that world, they see there is uh, you eventually get to, you know, ads or marketing content for a segment of one, where before you might have to stage an apartment one of three ways versus in the future world. If I click on the same website as you, it may stage it with totally different furniture based on what we like and then sell it to us <laughs> if we like the furniture, if we <laughs> decide to move in there. Um, but that's where you get the generative AI of you could have infinite versions of the staging combined with traditional AI of what drove the click through, what drove the conversion, and you create that feedback loop, which I think will get quite powerful, but I think we're still moving there. And then on the customer engagement side, I think we're seeing more of that become mature. Um, the place I've gotten most excited about that is where real estate looks more consumer. Um, so like in multifamily residential, we've seen a lot of folks start to use it when they think about you know better understanding their residents when they're going into a discussion on a renewal, for example, where the generative AI can help build scripts for their people where it is able to detect they have a dog. So maybe as part of the renewal, offer them a dog walking service and that may be of interest to them. Um, or they have a car, so maybe offer them free parking. And, like, and then that, once again, combining that with more traditional AI, where you feed back into the algorithm what worked, and it helps you generate better scripts and level up all the people. Um, I think there's real applications, but I think some are more prime time or the risks have been addressed more than others to date. Is the, I'm just thinking about the different examples you Please. gave. Is the Is the customer engagement stuff the more kind of like revenue focused or revenue generating end of this in your mind right now versus some of the others more around cost savings efficiency or are there cost and revenue plays across the categories? Like what's the right way to think about that? I think there's cost plays for all. Like, I mean, on the customer engagement side, you can just as easily use the tech for, you know, engaging about a maintenance request and filing that. Um, like I know in some asset classes, a few of the folks I, you know, spend time with have tested AI applications where, they can handle, you know, 70 plus percent of tenant inquiries through the AI. And then their people are only touching the ones that are more complex, require the human intervention or not the more mechanical question. Um, and then it frees up their people to do other things. So in multifamily, it could be, you know, helping engage the residents, um, creating new revenue streams of other services. In office, it could be, like a lot of folks are moving into the very hospitality-minded angle of like, what's the concierge of the office? Um so I'd say all of them have applications overall in both ways. But I'd say given where the industry is now, back to your earlier question about the forces, I think folks are thinking a lot more about operating performance and a lot of those topics in a way that is much sharper and top of mind than even two years ago. Got it. Is there an asset class within real estate that you think is is further along or kind of like if you're looking for best practices or who's kind of like cutting edge, you know, would, yeah. would you point to an asset class or a company or who's doing this really well? That's a great question. I'd say a few thoughts. I would say on the, I think it differs by, I guess, flavor of use case is probably how I would think about it. I think on a lot of the customer tenant engagement sides of the world, um, I think multifamily, hospitality, you know, anything, the residential side, because of the 
level of customer engagement, but also the higher frequency of tenant decisions, because those are one-year leases. I think they're investing there in ways other folks are not. I think on a lot of the, you know, like summarizing across lease documents, concision side, um, I think that is where more of the classic office industrial are investing a lot. Uh, and a lot of that is because when you think about those companies, they often have the same tenant across many buildings, many locations, and therefore that intelligence and arming your professionals with that information becomes really valuable. Uh, so I'd say like different parts of the different applications are being flexed by different asset classes more strongly than others, depending upon almost like the nature of how they run and how they engage with folks. Got it. That makes sense. Is there, what's the right way for real estate folks to think about the size of the opportunity on this? You know, obviously it varies a little bit, I imagine by asset class and your particular situation where you're in the value chain as you described, right? But um, do you benchmark or do you think about, hey, look, this is the, this is kind of like the operating margin improvement that you can pull out of this kind of like application of some of these things, or this is kind of like what best in class folks are generating an incremental revenue relative to others by doing some of this stuff. Like, I, I guess for maybe take a step back for for real, for for folks yeah. that are hearing this and they're like, yeah, these opportunities make a lot of sense. I'm thinking about business case or kind of like yes. how is this going to evolve financials? Like, what's the right way to to kind of like think about the size of the prize there? Yeah. So it's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I would say number one is, you know, when you're thinking about deploying Gen AI, number one is starting with the business case before you even build. Uh, but the number one failure mode I see in the real estate industry is folks think you need to build this big data asset before you do anything with it. And I can't tell you the number of real estate, you know, whether it's on the occupier side, whether it's on the landlord side, like companies I engage with where it's We've been throwing all this data into a data lake or lake house or whatever the term is at the moment for two, three years and have nothing to show for it yet. Um, to say the number one failure mode is that versus you know leading with the business case led approach to it. Uh, I, from what I have seen, I mean, I have seen folks get to you know up to ten percent plus improvements on NOI, but that is across multiple use cases as they go on a multi-year journey. But I think it is understanding from a use case perspective, what is the business case? What is the upside to it? And what is the value that's created? Um, I think Gen AI is a great example. But there are some use cases that sound fascinating. But given the cost of the compute power today, the business case may not be there. Um, but in a year from now, given how fast that stuff gets better, it may be there. <laughs> so I think it's kind of having an eye on that equation. Uh, and I also just think it's thinking about as you go, you may not need all the data to do what is value creating. But, but I've seen you know, pretty meaningful impact, like on tenant renewals on that side and like building better experience. I've seen folks get, you know, seven to 10% increases on renewal rates. Can you tell a story of one of those, for example? Like, I'm curious, like you give me, yeah. you know, and obviously it's anonymous, right? But yeah, or assuming it, it can't be shared, but uh, we make a situation like, uh, company or organization what's the setup how do they apply it what's the impact like just so just so folks can get a sense for like what's what's possible here yes i mean i'll, I'll give a few examples so like one i've done on um just like lease negotiations with tenants where the ai is able to predict who's likely to renew a lease and tell you the drivers as to why it then informs what tenants you need to spend time with um, versus which tenants are likely to stay and therefore engage them, but you don't need the sales pitch. 
Uh, there are some tenants across asset classes where they are gone and you can give them the moon and they're not going to stay. <laughs> so like identifying first that group where it is meaningful for a real estate player to spend time with. And then for that group, everything from you know tracking different levers and what moves the decision, uh, like Gen AI building you know scripts and helping coach people to have that negotiation happen. Um, and then it basically creates a feedback mechanism where that engine, for lack of a better word, gets better and better and tries real value for folks. On the investment side, you know, I worked with a big investor who was interested in the industrial and warehouse area. Um, and rather than the very manual processes they would typically go through, it was an asset class they had never invested in. Um, they built an AI algorithm that took every basically MSA or zip code level tranche of the USA and forecasted which we're going to have high rent appreciation for warehouses and which had a bunch of different you know, demographic and around spending history and just intrinsics for warehouses to be growing of a particular type. Uh, and they got down to a list of submarkets that they cared about. Uh, and then we took property data about all properties in those little submarkets and built a scoring algorithm for them, which basically then ranked which of the buildings in that market they should go talk to brokers about. Uh, and it doesn't totally automate the whole thing, but they get from A to B in a few weeks, <laughs> you know, quite quickly. Uh, and rather than having the list of 100 buildings to give to the broker, it's already ranked in their minds of which ones they think could have the most value generating potential. Yeah, those are two examples, but I can <laughs> talk about more if any topics. Honestly, honestly, I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think about like how much work that would have been traditionally to actually yeah. go and say, I got to pull that data and rank every geography and then figure out within that geography, which assets are available, and what's most valuable. And now the fact that you can do that in weeks, you know, is, yeah. and probably faster in the future is just a huge change in value. Yeah. And then to your point, like with the shift in the industry now, like a lot of the same data underlying algorithms we would use for that, we're now using with folks, which is making decisions about their portfolio. And like with assets to hold on to, which to potentially dispose of, um, which ones have risk of tenants leaving and how do they think about more proactively managing them. Um, but it just starts to become a really valuable asset where the use cases cascade over time. So you said the the way not to start I think I, I love the term you use. I think it was like failure mode, right? Like, I love that term. So failure mode is like, okay, great. We're just going to build and generate a bunch of data and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then we'll figure out what to do with this data asset we've created. And so for folks that maybe are more traditional real estate in the way that you described the industry before, which is kind of like wait and see where the opportunities start to emerge and then run really fast at it. Let's yeah. say they're listening to this conversation. They're like, okay, based on what Alex said, I need to get started. Um, what are the first things that you recommend they do in terms of like, how do you, how do you get moving in the right direction on this? Yeah, I would say number one, and I think you alluded to is start where the value is, but we typically have folks think a little bit about what is the vision, but in terms of actually getting started and doing things, what are the few use cases you want to prove yourself on? Uh, we typically talk about it as taking a, I call it a two by two mentality. Shocking. Like, Shocking what are two, two, by two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, what are two simple low lift use cases <laughs> that, you know, they're going to show value early on and also get that momentum from stakeholders where they're going to be bought in, excited about what you're up to. Uh, and then what are two more, I call it visionary, bigger picture use cases where it may take a year to get them right, but they're likely things that can really step change your business. And if you don't do it and a competitor does, it's still going to take you one to two years to get anywhere near catching up. So it's just going to increase that strategic distance. Um, 
So number one is that like short-term wins along the way versus big visionary approach and balance to it. Um, I think secondly, whether it's, you know, the workplace occupier, whether it's the landlord, there's a lot of just structural things about the company that also need to change in terms of thinking about technology in a different way, getting your people used to working differently in terms of how they interact with it, how it becomes part of the process. Um, a lot of real estate companies are still very much set up as enterprise IT, where like IT owns Microsoft Office. But like this is a very different approach and acquires a little more technical depth <laughs> to actually execute. Uh, so I think making investments in some of those new profiles and thinking about digital as having a different role in the organization uh, becomes really important. Um, so it sounds like some net new hiring around that, if I understand, in yeah, terms of like different, different team members' yeah. capabilities around some of that. And that's a lot of the work we will often do is, you know, we will work with folks to stand up, you know, their data lake house and deploy those first few use cases. Um, but we will often organize our teams structurally to look like the org structure a client should have uh, and work with them on figuring out what profiles to bring in. And our goal is basically always to make ourselves obsolete. Um, so we'll often start with like a project that's 90% McKinsey, 10% client. And then over time, we basically disappear and play fewer roles. And then they're able to go run with it and build new use cases over time. And I think the last thing is just the people side of like getting people comfortable with it. Um, like how do you bring them along the journey as a broader organization? And I think it's also like being, how do I put this in a nice way? Bold enough to like think about the roles and the way processes have worked just because it's historically done that way doesn't mean they have to be. <laughs> but like real estate is very much one of those industries of we do it this way because that's how it's done without the real reason behind that often. <laughs> so I mean, it sounds like in some ways you're getting toward culture fundamentally, yes. right? And so, so it sounds like a, you know, a part of that, if I understood correctly, it sounds like there's a part of it, which is you know, the culture around use of technology and what it means to distribute some of that out and build some new capabilities around technology. There's a culture around, you know, people and capability, it sounds like, in terms yes. of certain roles coming in or maybe how you empower. Anything else culturally that needs to to shift uh, or that you are seeing the leader, so to speak, do better or differently than maybe folks that are laggards here? I mean, I think it's not just like the people from the side of new capabilities, but even getting your existing people comfortable with the tools and interacting with the technology. Um, I think that's a big piece of it. I think it's also, I don't want this to sound like we're saying real estate companies should become tech companies because I also don't believe that. <laughs> right, their business is real estate. Their business is the physical in a lot of ways. Um, but at minimum, having the right technology and making the right tech decisions where you were always able to do the best of breed and there is some secret sauce to it. Um, but I think finding that balance but I think outside of the very, very, very scaled players, I'm not saying build all your own tech from scratch in any way. <laughs> so I don't want it to come off that way. Um, but I think it's thinking about data and technology as something that can be quite strategic. And then I guess that's probably the last to your question, Rob, I would emphasize a lot is the data in terms of how you're collecting it, how you're harnessing it, um, but also asking yourselves if there's something I want to be doing in two years and five years what data will be required to do that? And do I even measure that today? And if not, how do I start measuring it? But a lot of times that is the starting point is, I have this great idea, but it's going to take me two years to build enough data to even do that. 
So if I don't get started today, that timeline just pushes out. <laughs> so you kind of have to, it's funny because you kind of have to balance these two ideas in your head, which is one, don't wait for the data to do the work on thinking about business value and potential use cases, et cetera. Yeah. But at the same time, do start collecting the data so that over time you will have the opportunity to be able to do those things, right? So it, exactly. it's kind of like a, both a, a short-term and long-term orientation that's required to get this right. Yeah. And like by example, I talked about like a tenant churn model, like you might get a you know 70% version that is way better than the existing process when you start out, but you may realize these side data points are actually really valuable. I have no way to collect them, no way to get them today. So I'm going to start gathering them. Uh, and then in three years time, your 70% model may get to a 90% model because you spent the two or three years collecting the data. Um, but it's recognizing I can get enough value out of the low list stuff today. And then having that vision of, I thought the data collection discipline <laughs> that often doesn't exist in the industry. Yeah, makes sense. So maybe one last question and then pivot to a different topic. But yeah, so we talked a little bit about getting started and some yes. of the capabilities you might need, some of the cultural change you might need. It's January. January is time of year where everybody is always thinking, okay, 2024, you know, where do I want to be at the end of the year? What are our goals? And so, you know, generically, if you're a real estate organization listening to this and you haven't made a lot of progress in this area yet, where should you hope to be in the next year? Like if you were to say, hey, look, we've done X, Y, and Z things and we feel like we're kind of like on a good path here. Um, what are some of the things that they should hope to accomplish in this time frame? I would say number one is a clear vision of almost called like thinking about the data you sit on and you're part of the value chain. What is your process of pulling that into one place and organizing it flexibly to somewhat in some degree? And I would say number two is what are the... I'll call it POCs or even smaller things I can be doing to get comfortable with what it takes to build and implement an AI model. Uh, and that could be the more traditional like analytical AI, or it could be a gen AI, you know, use case. Implementing those two things actually looks quite different to a company. So I think even getting a flavor of what both look and feel like is quite valuable. Um, I'd say like getting your feet wet with what is the proof of concept, like simple MVP is something that has some value would be where my head would be at. I think it's a little, yeah, I think it's a little bit of just having that vision for lack of a better term of just what role is technology going to play in our org as well. And I think it looks a little bit different depending on where in the value chain somebody sits. Like if I'm someone that's, you know, deploying capital, running buildings day to day, you know, I sit with a lot of investors where they are caring a lot more about this in terms of where they're deploying dollars uh, to their partners. Like I was talking to one, a very big asset manager right at the end of the year, um, where their whole philosophy of where they now invest their dollars is driven very heavily by the partner has to have strong operating data for us. Hmm. Um, and like they're building data, they're deploying AI, gen AI use cases, um, and that data feeding back into on their end being top of mind. So I think just understanding kind of where are the different kind of where in the value chain you sit what's driving the decisions around you. And therefore, what does that mean for your data and tech strategy? Um, like I was with one of the big office occupiers here in New York last week, and we were talking to them about where to get started. And for them, it was a very simple, you have leases all around the country, like do a simple Gen AI use case where it queries those leases and pulls something valuable out where you might be spending 10 hours thumbing through them today. Um, but those little things where you start proving the value, getting people comfortable with it, um, I think become really important overall. 
makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Who can help on this? And, and when I say who can help, I mean in two dimensions. One, um, broadly, as these organizations are trying to get up to speed on generative AI and this technology, are there particular resources or places you would suggest that they read or look to in order to start to get smarter and think more about this? And then yeah. the second piece would be more specific to real estate and some of the use cases that you described, you know, who can help on the on these types of questions and starting to think through some of the topics that you're raising around vision, capability building, use case application, that kind of stuff. Yes, I mean, resource, on the broader industry side, like on Gen AI specifically, I think a lot of the big like industry players who have these big LLMs have really rich, you know, communities around it. They have different newsletters and just news around it. But like being plugged in around them, I think it's quite helpful. Um, on the real estate side, you know, there are all the different, you know, conferences out there on <laughs> real estate, like Realcom, RETCon, and so on. But they have really made this a big focal point, I think, going into this year of a lot of what they're trying to put out, have folks talk about it. I think for the average everyday person too, it's even just getting comfortable with playing with the technologies to be candid and kind of understanding their potential. And like, I think a lot of us have played with the very like text-based version of chat GPT, um, but like OpenAI also has, you know, like a very user-friendly version where you can play with images, <laughs> things like that. Uh, but I think just getting kind of an understanding of what the potential is and how it works. Um, even some of like the creative tools, like Adobe and Photoshop now now has... Gen AI built in and you can give different prompts to change parts of the picture. Um, but I think just playing around with the tools to understand how they work and function and getting that firsthand experience, I think is quite valuable. And then I guess from a real estate specific point, I mean, I think there are a lot of different folks in the around the industry who are starting to think about it. I don't know if I could point to like who is the face of it or the evangelist yet, if I'm very candid. <laughs> and I think that's a little bit of the question is, I think the industry needs a few of those fast follow, like those folks to really be visible uh, and who that's going to be. Um, but I don't know if there's someone in, in a single individual in real estate I would point to as say they are really driving the thinking of what could be. So I guess my answer would be like folks should ask themselves, could it be me? Could it be my not company? Say, it sounds like it creates opportunity, right? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, so that, that's kind of, I think a lot of the different industry sources, like there's a lot of great newsletters and message boards around the big you know, companies that have LLMs to really stay in the loop there. Uh, and on the real estate side, I think it's, you know, at the conferences hearing what folks are doing, to be candid. Um, I think the industry is still looking for a little bit of the evangelist who's going to light the way. And I would say the last thing is, I think given where you sit in the value chain, just being very conscious of how other folks are thinking about it. But I think for me, the biggest aha moment I've had with clients in the last two or three months has been folks on the capital or investor side we're never touching or operating the asset um, where they are having this aha moment of maybe we should be collecting operational data and maybe we should be only working with partners that have that. But I think folks really need to be thinking about what is going to be driving the decisions of the broader value chain that will impact their business. Um, I think real estate has this bad habit of getting very vertically focused and not thinking horizontally. And therefore, in my opinion, that's going to be what really drives change here. Um, is when the capital starts talking, <laughs> as it always does. <laughs> Ab absolutely. Uh, one final question for you. So, Alex, yeah. for, for anybody who is listening, who found what you said really insightful and is curious to learn more about you and your work, um, where would you send them to kind of read up or, or find more about you or maybe get in touch if that would be an interesting conversation? Yes. I mean, 
we ha- like we have our we just wrote an article end of last year on generative AI and real estate covers a lot of the things I'm speaking to now. Um, but that's a great starting point. And then like otherwise, like happy to have folks reach out to me like, through like my email address at McKinsey or like through that article. There's a contact form. But no, I love this stuff. I can talk about it for ages. <laughs> so always good to engage with folks who are interested about it. And the article is on the McKinsey site. Is that right? Yeah, that published on McKinsey.com. McKinsey.com. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, Alex, I appreciate it. I learned a lot yeah. just hearing about the different real estate use cases and, and even just the the way you start to frame up some of the specific examples, whether it be thinking about areas of investment or lease documentation. Hopefully that starts to get some folks thinking about different ways to apply this. So as they're thinking about their vision or own use cases, they feel like they've got at least a little bit of direction of how they want to get started. No, exactly, Rob. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really great to chat with you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that helps other listeners find the podcast. For more Flex Index content, including past episodes, our Flex Index newsletter, and monthly research reports, visit flex.scoopforwork.com. See you next time.